Oh, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you today. Just fantastic to be here. Baby week, is it? Hey, very exciting. Pastor Don and Haley and little Dick. And I, someone else had a little baby this week too, didn't they? So there was uh, two babies this week. So uh, uh, very ex- exciting. That I don't know where Pastor Don is. So uh, he didn't do anything. Eh? He sh- <laughs> like he could have been preaching this morning. Eh? These man, they don't breed them like they used to. Eh? Like. Us guys, we used to be back at work the next day, you know, or even in the same afternoon. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it's so so exciting and awesome for the church too, and a great church occasion as well. I just want to share a little, a few thoughts this morning. You know, as we uh, last, I guess, a couple of years, uh, life's a journey, and the last couple of years really been a pretty extraordinary journey, uh, probably unlike any uh, journey that any of us have been on in the past, and. Uh, we had COVID-19, of course, and still hanging around a little bit. Last week, I was down in uh, Napier, and I'd been down there uh, earlier last year, just after the cyclone, saw the terrible damage down there, and it's great to see them bouncing back from that. Um, but we every year, we all face our own personal crisis journey, don't we? There's always something that's happening in life that we're having to face and having to work our way through. We have health issues, we have financial issues, we have family issues. And Jesus said that even if we're abiding in the vine, that means we're attached to him, we still have times in our life of uncomfortable pruning. And uh, that, uh, and because we're wired different, uh, we handle our journey in life in, in different ways. And, and, and some, when they get into uh, a crisis, uh, they react and they lash out. Uh, other people, maybe the, uh, some may just withdraw into themselves. Uh, you'll get some that don't even know there's a crisis going on. They just like they live on another planet and they just seem to sail through life and uh, don't realize that anything is happening. And, and God took the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They had been slaves there for 400 years. And uh, it was a, uh, he raised up Moses to take them out. It was a rough start to the journey, but he was leading them into a good place. And I just want to draw some lessons out of this story uh, today. And the Bible says that God didn't take them out by the shortest route because if they had gone by the shortest route, they would have had to have gone in Philistine country. There were some pretty big boys that lived in Philistine uh, back in those days. Uh, If you remember Goliath and his brothers, uh, they were Philistines, so they were descendants of the people from there. And uh, they came from the city of Gath, uh, a a place called Anakim, a race of giants. And so uh, God didn't want them to have to face uh, these uh, giants, these soldiers, uh, right from being slaves for so many years. And so uh, Israel still had this slave mentality about them and so he took them by the longer route uh, through to the promised land through the desert but it meant that they were going to be crossing the Red Sea and then the moment uh, Pharaoh heard that they left Egypt uh, then the Bible says the Egyptians pursued them the Bible says of horses and chariots and troops and so that the people were frightened and they reacted to Moses uh, and uh, cried out to him they were runaway slaves even if they had outrun Pharaoh they would always be runaway, runaway slaves. They would always be like looking over their shoulder. They'd always be fearful that maybe somehow uh, they, they were going to get caught again. And even though they were no longer press, oppressed, as long as the oppressor lived, uh, then they were always going to live with this fear that somehow the oppressor was going to come and capture them again. See, past experiences can come and they can bind me for the future. 
I don't have to be a slave to be uh, in bondage to be a slave to fear. And uh, I can be delivered out of bondage, but I can still be bound by fear that somehow the enemy is going to get me uh, again. And so um, I just sort of not knowing who I am in Christ and, and not really believing that, that I'm free. And, and so I've always got this like this doubt in my mind uh, that I'm not going to make it, that something's going to happen to me, that the devil's going to get me in some particular way. I wonder how many people in this room are living in fear that maybe maybe a past failure or maybe a past bondage or maybe a past disappointment is going to come back and repeat itself in your life. I wonder how many people are afraid to be happy this morning because they're just afraid that the happiness is not going uh, to last. I wonder how many people in this room uh, are afraid to love because uh, they are thinking, well, maybe it will go bad again uh, like it has in the past. I wonder how many people in the room are afraid to step out and to try something new because you're just afraid that you might fail. And as long as you allow your fear to chase you, you'll always be a slave. You'll never be uh, the highest and the best self that you can be because you'll always be fearful that there is an oppressor that is going to come and, and get you again. Living in the threat of a crisis is not living at all. And so God doesn't take the children out, the children of Israel by the shortest route. He takes them through the water. They were saved through the water. Everything that was of God came out of the water. Everything that was not of God was drowned in the water. Uh, was destroyed in the water. It's this picture here of our baptism. When we are baptized, our baptism is a picture of when we receive Jesus Christ into our life as our Lord and our Savior. And so you may do that quietly in your room. You may do it just quietly with somebody and you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. But then baptism is, is salvation by your eye gate. It is something that you declare what happened privately, you're declaring to everyone. And so what we do is we take you down into the water, you die into self, and you're raised up. You're raised up with Christ into life. And so what comes out of the water, then you are free of your past. You're going to live a new life in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul teaches that in Romans 6. He says, he that is dead is free from sin. Teaching about baptism, he's saying there is that if we were buried with Jesus Christ in the likeness of his death, then we're going to be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. The power of everything that is not of God is drowned in the water, and we do not need to fear. We're raised up with him, with his strength and his power to live a new life uh, for him. And so Pharaoh was really chasing him uh, because he thought that he owned him. But God says to Moses, Israel is my son. Israel is my firstborn son. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll show you what it's like to lose a firstborn son. I will send the angel of death through your, your people. And the firstborn, every firstborn uh, in the nation will die. And so that's the night of the Passover. God let, let the angel of death go through and kill the firstborn of every child uh, in the land of Egypt. He's saying to you, I'm going to show you what it's like to lose a son. And Pharaoh says, but talking about Israel, he says, but he's my slave. And God says, no, he's my son. And Pharaoh says, he's my slave. I paid for him. And God says, no, he's my son. I paid for him. And Pharaoh says, I'm going after my slave. And God says, I'm going to deliver my son. You need to understand they're talking about the same person. See, the same discussion is had about you and me. Whatever is chasing you, the enemy is saying, he's my slave. But uh, God is saying, no, he's my son, she's my daughter. 
At salvation, when we became a Christian, the slave runs into the water and comes out as a son or a daughter in Christ. It's a picture of our salvation that we see in baptism. And so in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10, it says this. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough grace for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? And we said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. God will fight for you. Just stay calm. We see the, here the importance of knowing who we are in Christ in a time of crisis. The New Testament writers, they often are writing and, and they'll say something like, knowing this, knowing this, knowing this. The Apostle Paul, he, he, he writes, he says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. We need to know who we are in Christ. See, whatever you believe is very, very important. So important that you know who you are in Christ. Let me give you some points out of this. First one I want to suggest is this. Stay calm in a time of crisis. Moses told the people, just stay calm. He said to them, stay calm, shut your mouths, trust God for the outcome. You'll never see this enemy again. See, it's so important in a crisis not to let the insecurity of the mob set the tone or set the agenda of what's happening. See, some folk are not good in times of crisis. And that's okay. You know, we're all different. We're built and wired differently. But you can't let the person that is not good in a time of crisis become the dominant voice in the discussion. Remember when the spies came back out of the land? You know, they became the dominant voice. The negative voice became the dominant voice in the discussion. You can't let that because it will kill your faith. I always remember we had decisions we were going to, uh, with the church, we're going to buy or we're going to build or add services or add campuses. There were always people that were not supportive. And um, that doesn't bother me because I know that we have different strengths and uh, we have different weaknesses. And somebody that is not good on, maybe not good in a faith project, uh, they may be just the right person for a caring and a compassionate role somewhere else. You know, but uh, they may be a more of a compassionate person maybe than, than a visionary person. But they can't set the agenda in an area that requires bold faith. It's not their gifting. And so God totally destroyed the entire Egyptian army. So they saw dead Egyptian soldiers lying dead on the shore. Not one of them escaped. The death count was 100%. The people could go forward out having to always looking over their shoulders, wondering if the enemy, somehow they're going to build some boats, so we're going to do something. Somehow they're going to get across that water and chase them down again. When God says, I will destroy your enemy, it means that I will totally annihilate your enemy. doesn't matter how big he is, maybe as big as something like COVID-19 that destroyed the economies of a lot of countries around the world. Uh, God says, I will bring him down. 
We do not need to go through life always looking over our shoulder, always wondering if there's something out there that is bigger than God that is going to somehow come and get us. You know, there is no sickness that is bigger than God. There is no financial crisis that is bigger than God. There is no failure that is bigger than God. There is no property need uh, that is bigger than God. I remember uh, when we brought the land and botany for the church there 37 years ago, and uh, interest rates in those days were over 20%. Who remembers those days? Like, you know, it's bad now, but it was really bad uh, way back then. And uh, some people were really fearful. I remember one of the guys, uh, and then he was a builder, and he said, you need to allow for overruns. I said, well, what about underruns? And uh, we came in, the, because it was really tough time, the builders really sharpened their pencils, we came in $100,000 under what we had budgeted for to build the shell of the church there uh, at Botany. See, the Red Sea closed in. It wasn't just to uh, stop uh, uh, Pharaoh uh, pursuing them. Uh, it closed in so that no, uh, to, kill, to destroy Pharaoh. It closed in so that no other troops could follow uh, them in pursuit. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 11, 4, it says that the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. They never recovered. They could never pursue them again. They never got over it. They, they never had to go through life looking over their shoulder, wondering whether the Egyptian army, which in those days was the most powerful army in, in the world, they never had to go through life wondering that they were going to come, somehow get across the water and get after them. There's another reason that God closed it in too was so that when the children of Israel got into the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the desert, they could not go back. That's what, they, they were saying things like, what are we doing out here? Let's go back to the, the security of being a slave. That's what they said. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. See, God knows that we have times of weakness. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 20, it says this. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine, and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang the song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both the horse and the rider into the sea. I reckon like, this passage is weird. Like, you, you think about it. Where did the tambourine come from? Who bothers to take a tambourine? If you'd been a slave, your people had been a slave for 400 years in Egypt, and finally you get a chance to escape. And they were grabbing gold and jewels and all the precious stuff. Who bothers to look for a tambourine? It would have to be a prophet or a muse, wouldn't it? I, I can imagine Pastor Don, you know, not worrying about Haley. Like, where's the tambourine? You know, I need my tambourine. You know, don't worry about the baby. Where's the tambourine? You know, come on, you know, we need it. And they were dancing in the desert. You know, sometimes stuff in life is like a desert. And it's tough. And we need to learn to praise God in the desert. They would have been dancing alongside the dead bodies of the Egyptians because the Bible says that they, the dead bodies washed up on the shore. And we need to praise them, you know, even though recent battles, recent scars that we may have had of stuff that we've been through in our life, we need to also learn to praise God. And, and maybe when the, uh, the scars of those things are still around us, we learn to praise God because there'll be other tough times ahead of us. We need to get used to it. Stay calm in a time of crisis. And number two, cry out to God in a time of crisis. It didn't take long and they had another bitter experience. It says here in verse 22, it says, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea 
And they moved out into the desert of Shur and they travelled in this desert for three days without finding water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. Bitter doesn't mean that it tasted bad. Bitter means that it was dangerous to drink. It was not good water. And the people cried out. And whenever the people cry out to the leader, the leader's life is miserable. You know, oh no, here we go again. It's not easy being a leader. You know, the people, people can complain, they can badmouth you, they can withhold their tithes, they can cause trouble in the church, and then they say, see you later, and they go to the church down the road and leave you to clean up the mess afterwards. But there's a lesson here. The people cried out to Moses, hey, we have nothing to drink, and the only thing that you can do as a leader when people cry out to you is that you cry out to God. When the people cried out for the first time, Moses is a leader. He said, stay calm, stay settled, stay settled. And when they cried out this time, he said, he takes the next step. He says, he takes their cries to God. Verse 25. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And Moses threw it in the water and made the water good to drink. Moses stands between the people and God. He tells God what they said. And then he comes back and he tells them what God said. The people have nothing to drink. They ask God for water and he answers with a tree, a piece of wood. Throw it in the water and it will become sweet. The tree is a type of Calvary. The tree is the old rugged cross. The tree is a prophecy that the only thing that God has that can turn bitter experiences in your life and sweet to sweet is Calvary. Moses, God told Moses, I know the problem is the water, but the answer is the tree. It's a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't look like anything to do with the problem, but God told Moses, throw the tree into the water. We say to people, Jesus is the answer, and they come back, oh, I don't need Jesus. I need help with my finance. I need help with my marriage. I need help with my, uh, with my anger. I need help. Jesus doesn't look anything like the answer to my problem. See, whatever it is that you're praying for, the answer is the tree. The answer is the cross of Jesus. If you need peace in your life, the answer is the tree. If you need healing in your body, the answer is the tree. If you need money, the answer is the tree. To heal the water that was bitter, the answer was the tree. I don't care what the bitterness is in your life, the tree will turn its sweet. The tree is Calvary. It threw the tree in the water and it changed. In verse 25 it says, And it was there... At Marah, that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. See, the tree caused what was bitter to become sweet. It became a place of healing. First of all, we're to stay calm in a time of crisis. Then we're to cry out to God in a time of crisis. But the third point I want to make is that the crisis is not the end of the journey. The crisis is not the end of the journey. Verse 27 says, After leaving Marah, the Israelites travelled onto the oasis of Elam. Hey, praise God. Where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. 
12 wells of water, 12 springs of water, it says 70 palm trees. This place, Elam, sounded like a resort, didn't it? I guess in the middle of the desert, it was like coming into a resort. When they got to Elam, they came into a prepared blessing. Somebody had been there before them. We know that somebody had been there before him because there were 12 wells at Elam. Some of the uh, new translations say 12 springs at Elam, but the older translations say there were 12 wells at Elam. In fact, the first famous first century historian, Josephus, he wrote that uh, in his time, there were wells at Elam. He, he went and he saw wells were there. There were existence of trees and wells in the location. Not, not springs, they were wells. See, wells are not a natural experience. A spring is a natural experience. A lake is a natural experience. Uh, but a well, somebody had to dig it. God had sent somebody there beforehand to dig those wells so that when they got there, they would already be there. Elam was a taste of the promised land. When they got to the promised land, uh, uh, waiting for them, there would be uh, cities that they hadn't built. There would be fields that they hadn't plowed. There would be houses that uh, they hadn't built. What does this mean for Elam? Well, God will give to us houses that we didn't build. He'll give us vineyards that we didn't grow. Somebody's digging right now well so that when you get to that place, the water will already be there for you. Fields will be there. God will sustain you. I used to joke with Pastor Boyd when he was the pastor here and he was up at our church in Weymouth Road and I used to say, you young pastors, you've got it made. I said, you, you're born in the promised land. You, you, you come and pastor the church and, and the church is already there and everything's there for you and it's, it's like being in the promised land. Uh, he wasn't impressed. And, uh, but when we brought this property and uh, all the beautiful grounds and and uh, all the accommodation in the buildings, I got a text from him saying, this is the promised land. <laughs> we're obtaining buildings that we didn't build, and this has continued to happen for us. See, maybe you've always dug your way out of everything that you've got yourself into. Maybe you're one of these independent type of people. You don't ask anyone for help. You know, you, you dig your way out of anything that you get yourself uh, into, but not this time. See, God is saying, I'm going to bring you into a place of another man's labor. You're going to drink from a well you didn't drink. I'm going to bring you into a place of rest. I think that's a word for someone here today. You know, you've been slogging your way at something, trying to work your way out of something, instead of just swallowing your pride and coming to God and say, God, help. God says, I'm going to bring you into another man's labor. You're going to drink from a well you didn't drink. I'm going to bring you into a place of rest. When they threw the tree into the bit of water at Mara, it became sweet. It's a picture of salvation, cross of Jesus. But they didn't camp at Mara. They moved on from there. And now they came to Elam and they camped near the water. It was a place where they could stay. It was a place where they were sustained. It wasn't a one-off experience. It was a sustained experience they had. See, out of the desert around these wells, these palm trees grew for shade. Do you need shade in your life? Have you been going through some really dry and difficult situation and maybe some storms in your life? Maybe going through something which has just been really tough and draining on you and sucking the life out of you, pulling you down and you're just wondering if you're ever going to get out of it. 
barely struggling maybe just to make ends meet, struggling maybe in your marriage relationship, maybe maybe you're watching the news every night and you've been getting really fearful and really stressful at all the stuff that's going to happen, predictions now, there's a third world war about to happen and so on. Do you need shade? Maybe you're in rented accommodation and you've been praying about uh, your own home. Maybe you've been stressed out over a family relationship. See, stuff happens in life. Stuff happens. But we all move on from that. They sat under the palm trees and they rested in the shade. And so God has brought you to Elam, a place of shade, a place of fresh food, a place of deep wells, a place of rest, a place where you can learn who you are in Christ. See, 2023 may have been a dry place. It may have been a place of uncertainty for you. But God says, I'm going to bring you into a place of sustainability. I'm going to bring you away from your fear. I'm going to destroy your enemies. I'm going to give you wells you haven't dug. I'm going to give you rest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for each person here today, oh God, Lord. Lord, for those especially that have been going through just a real struggle, just a real difficulty. And Father, I just pray, oh God, Lord, that you will birth even today, oh God, just a, just a knowing in their heart of who they are in Christ, of what happened to them when they asked Jesus into their life. Lord, of the picture of baptism that when they asked Jesus into their life, they died to what was old and they raised to what was new. And Father, put faith in their heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.